Carl Ol oh Carl Olerant. <laughs> oh my God, why can't I? All hard names. Carl. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Ol Carl. Oh. <laughs> why am I tripping? Hang on, I'm trying to like. Do we have like a bloopers reel? Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Or Landerson. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <sighs> Hi, guys, and welcome to episode two of Spooky Season 2020. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so excited. Because 2020 isn't already a clusterfuck of a horror film, we're going to go ahead and talk about actual horror films. Oh my god, I feel like we are in a horror film. It's like a drama slash political garbage slash zombie apocalyptic family film. (laughs) Family film. I love how you add that in there. Yeah. Welcome to Soundtrack City, or shall we say Spooky City this month? Yes, spooky season. (laughs) <laughs> it is here. This is our second episode of Spooky Season 2020, and we are so ready to talk about these awesome soundtracks. In case you have not joined us before, my lovely co-host, Frankie. And my amazing Misa. <laughs> we are two movie-loving, music-appreciating besties who love to delve into and discuss our favorite soundtracks. Yes. And just talk about how the music um, interacts with the film, how it amplifies different scenes, what it means to us, just, you know, super, super deep, fun facts. You know, we love to find those random things that no one really knows, conspiracy theories, etc. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. I can't wait for us to do a, like a discussion conspiracy theory episode because there's so many. <laughs> oh yes, that's going to be epic. We're going to jump right into it, and today I'm going to go first, and Frankie, I'm pretty, you know my movie, I think I told you this one, right? I believe this is the one that you told me, Um, however, I'm not going to lie, I got our weeks mixed up, and so I am not prepared for your movies. I thought, for some reason, I thought this was the week that was the mystery one, because this was my mystery one. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, as I was looking through my text messages this morning, I was like, oh my God, she said the fourth one is going to be her mystery one. Yes. And so then I was like, crap. Well, I am unprepared because I actually have not seen your movie. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hopefully after you hear a bit about it, it will intrigue you to check it out. Maybe not the sequel, but you can definitely check out this one. (laughs) Okay. I'm excited. All right, so for those of you who might have seen my clue on Instagram, by the way, we do post clues on Instagram. Hey, Soundtrack City, if you want to check us out. So I thought my clue was actually pretty obvious, and my caption was actually kind of a dead giveaway, no pun intended. My movie (laughs) is actually a request from my other best friend, Steffi. Her birthday is actually tomorrow. Yay, Steffi, happy birthday. Happy Mm -hmm. early birthday. When I recently saw her, because we do our backyard socially distant, keep six feet apart outdoors dates, 
I did randomly ask her last time, like, hey, what would you want to hear when we talk about Halloween movies? And she mentioned this one immediately. And it's actually a movie that we saw together. And one of our traditions is that we love to go to the movie theater, even if a horror movie is good, bad, if it looks cheesy, if it looks awesome, we eat that shit up mm-hmm. so hard. Like we love going to the, to the theater and watching bad horror movies because we just love to laugh at them. I love it. I wouldn't say that I saw this one as a bad movie going in. I kind of saw it as like a teen slasher kind of mystery film. It was like Groundhog Day meets Scream. And so I really dug the soundtrack to this. And my movie is Happy Death Day from 2017, directed by Christopher Landon. And it stars Jessica Roth as Tree, Israel Broussard as Carter, Ruby Modine as Lori, Charles Aitken as Gregory, Rob Mello as John Toombs, and Rachel Matthews as Danielle. And so for those of you who haven't seen this film in a while, or maybe not at all, this does follow a girl named Tree who finds herself reliving the same day over and over again. It happens to be her birthday. Someone kills her over and over again, thus restarting the cycle of the day that she's stuck in. So she has to figure out who's killing her. Oh, Yes, so I remember the premise. I remember seeing the um, trailer for it, and I've watched like five minutes of it randomly. And it's not that I wasn't intrigued or didn't like it. It's just that I remember having something else to do, and I just never got around to it. But I'm super excited for you to cover this because it is definitely on my list of movies that I should have watched but haven't yet. Cool, cool, cool. I hope you won't mind me spoiling it just a little. No, that's totally fine. The way I see it, I'm like, well, at least if I spoil it for myself, I'll know if it intrigues me enough. And if I like the plot enough, it'll be worth watching anyway. That's true. That's true. You know what I mean? So so I think that this is definitely a movie that you would enjoy. I didn't see the sequel, but I saw a detailed review of it and I wasn't crazy about the premise. It's more of a, it turns into kind of a sci-fi movie instead of a horror slasher. Mm, Okay. So not whatever, not great, but exactly, not my jelly. So so our movie starts off with a girl named Tree, and she wakes up in a dorm room of a guy named Carter, and he's like a super nice guy. He's kind of, he might be a little geeky, wears plaid. He's kind of simple looking, I guess, compared to her because she's a sorority girl. And so her ringtone goes off, and her ringtone is like a birthday song. In the trailer, it was In the Club by 50 Cent, but they couldn't acquire the rights to that, and so they had to use an annoying little birthday jingle in the movie. Oh, that's a huge difference. And it's kind of upsetting, because In the Club, I would have loved to have that on my list. <laughs> right. I feel like that's a huge like difference. They couldn't have found anything that was kind of similar, like even in the same genre. You know what? They could have even written something from scratch and made a knockoff version. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I do feel a little miffed because it was very prominently featured in the trailer. So she wakes up and she gets a call from her dad. And that's why the ringtone goes off. And we see on the phone that it is Monday, September 18th. We don't know for sure just yet, but it is her birthday. And so she and Carter have an exchange. And from what we can tell, there was a party last night and she came to his dorm room with him that night and she was super drunk. And we can't really tell what happened between them, but she like puts her clothes on 
asks him for Tylenol. She's kind of a bitch about it. And then she leaves. And so as she's walking through the campus grounds, she's she's doing the, quote, walk of shame, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's very obviously been in her clothes from the night before because she's got like a sparkly tank top and some club pants and heels. And everyone's it's morning and everyone's going to class. So she's <laughs> she sticks out and out. <laughs> exactly. And so as she's walking through the campus, there are a couple of key moments that become important when she realizes her pattern. So. When she leaves the building, she walks by a hipster guy who has, he kind of looks like a lanky John Lennon. He's got this weird hair and a big coat and these round Ringo glasses. And he looks at her like she looks weird. <laughs> oh, okay, man. And so then uh, then a girl comes up with a clipboard and she's like, hey, stop global warming. But Tree ignores the fuck out of her. Then she sees a couple kissing in the grass, and as they're kissing, the sprinklers turn on on them. And so they have to run, and they're kind of like laughing it off. A Jeep alarm off to the side starts to go off, and so she hears that too. And then the last thing she sees is a line of frat boy pledges, and they have presumably been singing 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall. And um, But I'm guessing that they started at a way higher number. Because the frat boy who is hazing them is like, 26 hours? Is that all you got? And so this is one of those things where they're trying to get into the frat, and so they have to do this. And so they haven't slept or eaten, and they've been singing the whole time. What the hell? And one of them is so tired that he collapses onto the grass. Oh, man. That's intense. She runs into a guy, Tim, who she, from what they talk about, went on a date with once. And he evidently took her to Subway, which was not great. Oh, that's a random choice. Yeah. And he's like, you haven't been returning my calls. And she's like, yeah, well, we went on one date. It's like, whatever, dude. You know, you took me to Subway. It's not like you have a foot long. (laughs) And she (laughs) blows him off. And so she gets to her house. And the sorority girl president, Danielle, is like super bitchy and she's like being all nosy about where she was. And then Tree goes up to her room, which she shares with a girl named Lori. And one of my songs does play in this scene, but because she relives this scene so many times up until the end, I'm going to save it for later. Okay. But right now, when she walks into the room and her roommate is already there, we hear that the roommate is listening to Ophelia by the Lumineers. Oh, I love that song. Yep, yep. So Lori kind of gives her shit about rolling in late, and Tree starts to get ready for school, and Lori presents her with a cupcake, and it's got a lit candle on it. She's like, hey, happy birthday. Did you think you could keep it from me? And Tree, like, takes it from her, but Tree throws it in the trash because it's too many carbs, and she leaves. What a bitch. Bitch. So then they're having the sorority meeting, and. At the same time, someone is selling, like, school spirit garb, and for some fucking reason, their school mascot is a baby with a buck tooth. I'm so confused. (laughs) Why? I don't know why a college would want to be the Bayfield Babies. That's dumb as shit. Is there, like, a, a backstory to that from, like, the director or the writer? The director did say that he wanted something that was creepy, but also kind of funny. And he was expecting a child at the time. So he had baby on the brain. I mean, okay. I also found out that they originally wanted it to be a pig mask, but that was already kind of associated with um, 
your I think it was your next or maybe it was one of the purges or I was gonna say those. I always think purges or even like strangers I think one of them oh no they didn't have a pig mask I would say uh yeah the purge I want to say it was one of those. I didn't I didn't write it down, so I don't have it in front of me, but it was one of those movies where the killer wears a really ominous looking mask. And so they they couldn't use a pig. They didn't want to to confuse viewers, of course. So during the meeting, Carter comes to give Tree some jewelry that she forgot at his dorm, and because he bumps into one of her sorority sisters, some chocolate milk spills all over Tree and she's pissed. And all day she's been ignoring calls from her dad, who's trying to wish her happy birthday. And what we also learn about Tree is that she's having an affair with her professor, who is also the campus doctor at the campus hospital. What? Uh-huh. And her roommate, Lori, knows that it's going on. And she's like, you know, Tree, this isn't really a good idea, but it's none of my business. And Tree's like, you're right. It is none of your business. Bye. And so her and this guy, Gregory, are fucking. But they, he's married. So that's fucked up, too. On the first night that Tree dies, she is heading down to the party and she finds a little musical trinket, which was in my clue. And it's just spinning really slowly under a bridge and it's got the tune, Happy Birthday. And then this figure in all black and the baby mask pops up. And at first she's trying to tell him off, but he just stands there staring at her. And she threatens to call the cops, so he runs away. But then he chases her, and he kills her. Wow. She wakes up in Carter's room again, and she goes through everything again. She wakes up, puts on her clothes, does the Tylenol. Her dad calls. She ignores it. It's her birthday. She remembers his name because she met him technically one day before. Mm -hmm. And she also remembers where the Tylenol is, so she has to tell him where to find it. And he's like, wow, it's like you've been here before. And that's when she realizes that this is weird. Because she has been here before, but apparently not in this universe. What? So then she goes across campus. Same thing. The hipster, global warming, sprinklers, the Jeep goes off, the frat pledge falls down. She runs into Tim. And she's like, Tim, what day is it? He's like, it's the 18th. So she's really weirded out now. And then she gets to the house. She thinks she's having deja vu. Lori gives her the cupcake. She still doesn't eat it. And then uh, she knows that Carter's going to bump into the sister at the meeting, but she doesn't call it out in time. So the chocolate milk still spills all over her. Uh, So she's not getting it down just yet, the timing at least, but she's noticing more and more. And she's kind of zoning out because she's realizing that this is really weird and this isn't really deja vu. Oh, weird. It's very weird. And so that night while she's getting ready for the party, everything in the all the lights in the campus go out. So there's a really momentary blackout. And this happened also on the first day too. I just forgot to mention. So the blackout happens. And so she decides to go to the party. And as she's going that same route, she finds the little musical happy birthday trinket at the bridge. So she's like, fuck this. She goes another way. She ends up at the house. And it turns out it's a surprise party for her that her sorority threw. Yay. So, but what's funny is when they surprised her, some guy was dressed up in all black with the baby mask on. And when she thought he was the killer, she punched him. And that's when all the lights turn on and she sees that the house is full of her friends and college people and guests. And the guy wearing the mask is actually a guy named Nick that she kind of (laughs) likes. Oh my gosh. So that's pretty great. So they're partying, whatever. And Nick comes up to her and he's like, what the hell, Tree? Can we call a truce? And she's like, yeah, I'm really sorry about 
punching you? Why are you wearing that stupid mask? He's like, oh, well, the game's on Friday. I thought I'd show a little school spirit. And the thing is, Danielle likes him too. So she's trying to flirt with Nick, but Nick is all about tree. So when he takes off, he kind of motions for her to follow him up the stairs. And, you know, college house party, you know where it's going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is when my first song comes in, and it's called Moon Dust by Cherry Glazer. You would actually really love this song, I think. It's really... Mm, that's it's cool. A, it's a groove. So Tree is already on the second story of the house and she's looking around for Nick and she's, you know, there's all these various doors and it's, you know, a big hallway. And she watches him slip into the room at the end of the hall. So she follows him. And so when she goes in, it's empty. So she doesn't really know where he's hiding. But she goes ahead and she looks around and his room is like, it's got lights. It's got a blow-up doll. It's got a glitter, like, instead of a lava lamp, it's a glitter lamp. So it's, like, glitter floating around. And he's even got a bong, like, a really big bong. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, Nick seems cool. And so (laughs) Tree's, like, checking her reflection. And then as she's kind of, like, fixing her hair, she looks again and the baby face person is standing behind her and she like jumps and she's like, Oh, Nick. And she's like, you scared me. Why are you wearing that mask? Do you want me to punch you in the face again? And he's just standing there staring and he's not answering. And she is like, you know, she's kind of getting freaked out, but she still thinks it's him. So she goes ahead and pulls the mask off. It's Nick. (laughs) Mm-hmm. yeah so it's but he's it's him as himself he's not trying to kill her oh, okay, okay okay so he's just standing there smiling and he says welcome to the pleasure dome and then he turns on some really awful club music and starts dancing like a fool and tree's just like okay whatever so <laughs> so during that scene where tree was like alone in the room we were hearing moon dust by cherry glazer Cherry Glazer is an American rock band from Los Angeles, and some of their early work really leans toward the lo-fi garage rock genre, but they eventually eased into music with elements of grunge, punk, and new wave. Sounds like my kind of music. Exactly. The name for the band was inspired by a reporter from NPR named Cherry Glazer. The band began as just one person. Clementine Creevy wrote and performed songs and shared them through SoundCloud in 2012. She was soon picked up by Burger Records and her high school friends joined as bandmates. Moondust is featured on their second album, Apocalyptic, released January 20th, 2017. So cute. Apocalyptic. Adorable. Right? Don't you love that album name? I think it's so cute. I love it. They recorded this album at Hollywood's Sunset Sound Studio. Cherry Glazer has supported Foster the People and Slow Dive on tour, and they've also played Coachella and Pitchfork Fest, just to name a few. The band was also featured on another horror soundtrack. They recorded their version of Tiptoe Through the Tulips for Insidious Chapter 3. Oh, I love that song. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That uh, Tiny Tim song. <laughs> so the band has had many lineup changes since their formation. The current band members are Clementine Creevy, Tabor Allen, and Sammy Perez. I really like this song. I This movie introduced me to this song, and immediately her voice does some really amazing things. And yeah, it's just a jam. I can totally see this playing at a college party. I'm super excited to check this song out. So Tree wants to go ahead and leave. Danielle is texting her because she's pissed. And then we see in the background, Nick is getting murdered by the baby face person. Oh, wow. And Tree doesn't notice. And then when she tries to escape the room, the baby person, the baby face, I'm just going to call him baby face. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. Please, makes sense. please don't confuse him with baby face, the R&B singer. <laughs> but uh, so baby face stops her from leaving bashes the bong in half and presumably stabs her with it because she wakes up in Carter's room. Oh, damn. So same thing. The ringtone, she's like, this is a nightmare. And Carter thinks he's ta she's talking about him. So he's like, hey, you wanted to come home with me. So then she runs across campus. Same thing. Hipster, global warming, the couple in the sprinklers, the Jeep alarm, the pledge collapses. She runs into Tim and she runs off. She meets up with Lori again. And she's like, pleading with Lori like I'm losing my mind and Lori's like just stay in tonight don't go to the party so later on Tree is in her room not doing anything and the killer sneaks in through her bathroom window and kills her again <laughs> oh my god oh yeah so finally she wakes up in Carter's room and by now like she's feeling the effects of the murder so she wakes up this time and she's got a pain in her stomach which is where she was stabbed and it's the same thing. She runs across the campus. She sees the hipster, the global warming girl, the couple of like everything again and again. And this time she's freaking out and Carter chases her and she collapses into his arms asking for help. And so she finally explains her situation to him. And he's like, well, it sounds like you have an unlimited, you have unlimited lives. So you have unlimited chances to find out who killed you. And she's like, so I'm just supposed to keep dying until I figure out who it is? And, I mean, there's not really a better idea. <laughs> right. But they, also in this scene, we find out that they didn't actually have sex, that she was super wasted, and that he let her sleep in his bed while he slept on his roommate's bed, and he made his roommate sleep in his car. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, but So that means Carter's a good guy. Yeah, that does mean that. So I do have one question I just want to make. Is Tree always stabbed in the same spot? No, her deaths vary. Okay, okay, just wanted to clarify. Gotcha, gotcha. So he basically points out, like, whoever's killing you know that knows that it's your birthday. So just narrow it down to people who might want to kill you and who know it's your birthday. But that technically means everybody because her sorority's throwing that party. Everybody knows it's her birthday. So she goes ahead and tries his plan, which is she's going to just keep dying until she figures out who's killing her. And with this, we get a montage. And this is probably my favorite song in the whole movie. Confident by Demi Lovato. Such a banger. So this whole montage is super funny because Tree basically makes a list of all the people who she thinks might be trying to kill her. She crosses Nick off because she knows he was killed. 
and she basically goes through everybody. So she spies on Tim, who it turns out is gay. Oh. And she gets murdered. Then she wakes mm-hmm. up again and she's stalking Gregory's wife. And then she, you know, she knows she's not the killer. Then she gets killed outside of Gregory's house. She actually gets drowned. So when she wakes up, she spits out water. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, it's like a, there's like a bit of a cross between the universes when she wakes up. And I think that's also part of the reason why she's feeling it. Right. And does Carter realize that this is happening with each time or does she have to remind him? Because it, because it's a montage and so they don't really show her talking to him or explaining anything to him. They just show her wake up and then they cut to whatever she's doing. But I'm going to guess that she goes ahead and like doesn't tell him anything. She probably just gets up and leaves and starts on her plan over again. I mean, obviously he's not going to remember it anyway, so I don't think she wants to explain it every morning. Got you. She thinks it was Danielle. They get into a fight, but it wasn't Danielle. She dies again. Then finally, Tree has given so zero fucks that she walks through campus naked. And the hipster stares at her, like especially stares, and like the clipboard girl drops her clipboard. She's so shocked. The couple don't even care that the sprinklers are on because they're like shocked to see her naked. And even the frat boy pledges are all staring at her as she walks by. And one of them still collapses. (laughs) She does die for a seventh time at the end of the montage. During Confident by Demi Lovato. Nice. Confident was the second single from Demi Lovato's fifth studio album of the same name. It was released for digital download, and this is what I thought was cool, on September 18th, which is Tree's birthday in the movie. Oh, no way. I wonder if they knew that. Yeah, I don't know, but I think that's a really cool coincidence. For sure. Mind you, it was released two years prior, but I think that's pretty cool, the date. Yeah, definitely. Still really cool. Demi Lovato co-wrote the song along with Savan Kocha, who is a songwriter and record producer from Austin, Texas, and he also did background vocals on this track. Um, she also wrote this with Max Martin and Isla Salmandaze, and the three of them also contributed to the music and the track alongside Ricard Jorensen, Oscar Holter, Jonas Thander, Stefan Feinden, Stefan Person and Carl Orlanderson. The track includes the sounds of guitar, bass, keyboard, drums, horn arrangements, saxophone, trombone, and trumpets. Oh, nice. I love a big band. Yes, this is a loaded band. Critics did point out that the beat of this song seems similar to Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. I hadn't really heard it that way. I'm really bad at detecting songs that are similar to other ones. Like, it's, I don't know. I Sometimes I hear it, and then sometimes I just don't. And I guess I've never really thought about it, you know? I actually would like to pride myself on, I'm pretty good at picking up, like, when songs use, like, chords or um, beats or whatever um or just inspired um but i will say angel is like the master 
at recognizing that. That doesn't surprise me that he like has a fucking file cabinet in his mind. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he's together though. Like, so he's not good at like the, the names of songs. He's like, it's that one that's like, da, 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 and I'm like, Oh, okay. That one. So together we make a pretty good uh, team for finding out songs and stuff like that. So music deciphering. Yes. I love that. We're music deciphers. <laughs> That's awesome. So Demi says she wrote this song when she was finally feeling proud of who she is. She says she felt confident and she wanted the world to know how you can go from feeling insecure to feeling good about yourself. The music video for this includes appearances by Michelle Rodriguez, Jeff Fahey, Zane Holtz, and Marco Zoror. Apparently, Jeff Fahey was in the From Dusk Till Dawn TV series. But if he's the Jeff Fahey that I'm thinking of, he was in Psycho Part 3. Oh, well, that's a fun little fact. I'm going to check right now just so I know I'm not full of shit. But I know that there was a Jeff Fahey in Psycho 3. He took over the hotel while Norman was locked up. Oh, really? Okay, so I am i did not realize that there was a uh, Dust Till Dawn TV series. You know what? Me either. And when I saw that that was... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, he was. He, 1986, Psycho 3. Nice. I didn't either, which leads me to my my next tidbit. The music video for Confident was filmed in Austin, Texas, and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Shut up. So, yeah. And so, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Rodriguez directed From Dust Till Dawn? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, yeah, and then Quentin, like, helped with it. Yeah, I knew it was I knew it was one of them, or I wasn't sure if it was like a collab thing that they did, because I know they do that. Yeah, they love to collab. Okay, so yes. So he did the movie, and then apparently, yeah, with this research, I realized that Robert also went ahead and developed a TV series, and prior to directing this music video, Demi Lovato was a guest star on it, so that's when they first worked together. Oh, well, that's really cool. So she actually requested him like would you do my music video for me and he was actually thrilled by it he said that when he heard the song confident he said it was quote epic and cinematic so much like a movie score and so if you go and watch the video it's uh he robert rodriguez the fuck out of that music video <laughs> okay i'm definitely gonna i'm not gonna i haven't seen the music video definitely gonna have to check that out super exciting it will be on the blog awesome those are some super fun facts Hells, yeah. So one other fun fact about the scene is Jessica Roth says that this was a very liberating experience to film because she really was naked. She was? for the Yeah, for the scene where she walked through campus naked, she was legit wearing her happy birthday, happy death day suit, if you will. <laughs> wow. And it was an active college campus. So people were actually like going to school while this was happening. Dude, she's brave. Kudos to her. Yeah, so she said that female crew members were actually surrounding her, shielding her from being seen or photographed. And to pump her up before each take, they would chant her name. That is so cute. (laughs) Yeah, it's super sweet. She says that rather than calling it the walk of shame, she called it the walk of glory. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, queen. (laughs) Yeah, so this is just a fucking great song. I think this should be every girl's anthem. I think the mentality, the message behind this song should always be in your head. 
And I actually first heard this song when I was in Dallas for WrestleMania 32 because the pre-match video package for the Women's Championship Triple Threat was nothing but highlights of like Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. And this song played through the entire montage. That is so fitting. It was so fucking, it was, it was the first time I'd ever heard this song and I instantly fell in love with it. And hearing it bounce off the walls of a stadium with a hundred thousand people in attendance. Dang, that must've been epic. That was fucking cool. Like once in a lifetime type thing. It was awesome. It was awesome. So, after the montage, she wakes up in Carter's room again, and then, but this time, she's actually really in pain. She can't even stand up. She collapses, and she ends up in the hospital, but she's scared that whoever's going to kill her is going to find her there, so she escapes by sneaking into Gregory's office and stealing his car keys, and she books it to the, the parking garage. And by now, the baby face guy is already following her. So he's in the hospital now, too. She takes off in the car and she, she's celebrating. She made it. But then she gets pulled over. So she, she's like, yeah, I'm drunk. Just arrest me. She thinks she'll be safe in jail. So they arrest her. And right after they put her in the car, the cop gets hit hard by a speeding car. None other than... The baby face. No way. Yep. And so then she's like, oh, show your face. And she's yelling. She can't get out of the cop car. When he sideswiped the cop car, he hit the gas tank. And now it's leaking everywhere. So he throws a birthday candle into the street. And the cop car blows up with tree inside. <sighs> what a way to die. Mm-hmm. So she wakes up in Carter's room and she's being super like vague about what's going on. And it's only like making Carter more curious. So she calls out all the stuff that happens. The hipster, the girl with the clipboard, the sprinklers, the Jeep, the pledge falling. She, she proves to him that She's been living this day over and over again. And so this is when he finally like sits down and like talks to her and gets to know her. And we find out that she's kind of estranged from her dad and that her mom died three years ago. And it just happens to be her mom's birthday too. They share a birthday. Well, that's kind of sad. It's very sad. So I think that's a big reason why this character is so jaded and why she just doesn't want to acknowledge her birthday and doesn't want anyone else to either because it, Without her mom, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Right. So this is when we're finally starting to see Tree kind of as a human. And she tells Carter that it's funny. When you start to live the same day every day, you start to realize what kind of person you are. And I'm not a good person. Hmm, that's kind of sad. Like, for real. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then she realizes that there is actually a murderer at the campus hospital and when the news shows pictures of the victims that he has killed they all have very similar traits as tree so she's like oh it's him of course and so she tries to go to the hospital and the guy his name is john tombs and he and her have a scuffle he's about to kill her carter saves her but then he kills carter 
And so then she's about to kill him, but she's like, oh, if I, if I don't reset this day, Carter's dead forever. So she hangs herself from the bell tower. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is when you really know that Tree has changed. She's a super considerate person because she stopped looking out just for herself. And she knew that, like, she wanted Carter to live. And he just tried to save her. So he really is a good guy. It, so, yeah. So this is sad, but it's also really sweet because it's like she sacrificed herself. Yeah. But at the same time, now she knows who's going to kill her. So now she's going to be three steps ahead of the game. And she knows what she's going to do now. So she wakes up in Carter's bed again and she's like I can't believe you tried to save my life I you know she hugs him and she's like thank you so much and so he's like you know you probably don't remember my name which he tells her that every morning he's like oh you probably don't remember my name and she this time she's like Carter and he's like oh wow you did now she actually really kind of likes him because he's sweet <laughs> and so she borrows his pillow doesn't say why and she leaves his dorm room and as soon as she steps out onto the campus lawn, Love Stuck by Mother Mother starts playing. So by now, Tree is super happy. She knows exactly what she needs to do, and she's going to get her life together, and she's going to try to be a better person. So... She walks through the campus grounds. She snags the hipster's sunglasses and puts them on herself. She signs up to stop global warming. She calls out to the couple, hey, the sprinklers are about to turn on. And then they run off just as they're starting to turn on. And then she kind of points at the Jeep, which goes off because she can't help that. And then right before the pledge collapses, she puts a pillow at his head and gives him a kiss and then waves at the frat boys. My angel flew away. I didn't know how to keep her. Heaven knows I needed her to stay. I hope she spreads her So then she runs into Tim and he's like, hey, you haven't been calling me back. And she's like, Tim, I know you like guys. It's okay. Don't hide who you are. Love is love. And she tells him to go get himself a fine piece of man ass. And then she takes off. He's like, you know, she's right. Which she is right. Love is love is love is love is love. 1000%. Throughout that whole little scene where she's just feeling good about herself and she's ready to fucking take this killer down and beat him at his own game, we were hearing Love Stuck by Mother Mother. Mother Mother is a Canadian indie rock band who hail from Vancouver, British Columbia. The group began as an acoustic trio, and after adding a drummer and bassist, they began playing As Mother in fall of 2005. As Mother, the band released a self-titled album and went on to play various festivals before signing a four-album contract with Last Gang Records. They re-released their debut album as Touch Up, and they added additional songs and redubbed a few of the originals as well. Love Stuck was featured on their sixth studio album entitled No Culture, released February 10th, 2017. Performing on the No Culture album and this song were Molly Goldmund, who is on vocals and keyboard, Ryan Goldmund, who is on guitar and vocals, Jasmine Parkin, keyboard and vocals, 
Ali Siadat on drums and Mike Young on bass. The music video for this, it shows a band driving in a car on a road. It's dark, it's snowy, and then the lead singer is also running through the mountains. There is a part in the music video where a dark angel kind of lands on their car and her wings look kind of frayed. They look kind of like they've lost quite a few feathers. And there is a verse in the song that kind of makes the subject matter really sad, even though this is kind of an upbeat this is kind of one of those songs that if you really listen to it, it's, it makes you sad, but the music itself makes you kind of dancey. <laughs> oh, cool. And so the second verse goes, my angel flew away. I didn't know how to keep her. Heaven knows I needed her to stay. I hope she spreads her wings, surfing on a sunbeam and dancing to a song I couldn't sing. But if I saw her on the street, I'd say, my baby, fly back to me. Oh, okay. Very kind of dark and deep. Not what I was expecting. I like this. I, I'm not normally a fan of sad subject songs with upbeat shit. Like, I really, I'm not a big fan of Everclear because they do that a lot. Yeah. What's that fucking song? Father of Mine. I hate that song. Yeah, that's a horrible. I hate yeah. that song. Like, but some of those songs are hit or miss with me. And this one I think is... This one hits. I'm excited. So I realized where I've heard them before. They did a cover of Wrecking Ball. Oh, that's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So that's where I've heard Mother Mother. Tree comes home and she apologizes to Lori uh, because she's been such a bad roommate and she just, she wants to start over and she wants to be a good person. So she does kind of a bit of an apology tour in this universe. She stands up for herself against the bitchy president Danielle and she wastes a cup of chocolate milk. May I, may I add (laughs) by pouring it over her head. (laughs) Didn't even take a drink first. Oh, rude. (laughs) And when Carter comes to give her her bracelet back, she kisses him. That's super sweet. sweet. And she's like, do you want to take me out for my birthday later? He's like, what's the punchline? She's like, it's really random and I'll explain everything, but just say yes. She finally goes and meets her dad who was waiting for her at a restaurant for her birthday. And so this one's really mm -hmm. different. So now she's righting all her wrongs. She wants to get everything right this time. And so she goes to her dad. She apologizes. She cries. You know, she... She says that she's sorry she hurt him, and she's here, and she loves him. And then they Aww. sit and cry together. And it's actually a really, really sweet, sentimental moment. It is a really great little scene, and she does have a, a bit of a apology monologue. So it's, uh, it's good. She's setting everything right now. And then she sets a timer on her watch for the blackout that's going to happen, and she goes to the hospital. She takes a cop's gun. She makes him go get back up, which I guess he couldn't do on the walkie-talkie on his shoulder. No, that's just not how movies Impossible. Work. Impossible. <laughs> and they're in a hospital where I guess they don't have phones. So <laughs> no. let's suspend our disbelief, guys. Um, so she finds John Toombs in his hospital bed, and he has been freed of his, like, latches because obviously when you're a criminal in a hospital bed you're kind of attached to the bed and so they get in a scuffle and right on time right when he's about to kill her and he has the upper hand the blackout happens and she sneaks up behind him with the gun and shoots him dead 
Yay! Yay! Yes. So it's, it's done. done. So she's back at sorority house, and it's so cute. You'll appreciate this. Her and Carter are sitting in her room, sixteen candles style. <gasps> yes. Super cute. Love the reference. And the cupcake is in the middle instead of a cake. Love it. And he's like, what are you going to wish for? And she says, tomorrow. And he's like, tomorrow? Isn't that a given? And she's like, no, I don't really want anything else. Just tomorrow. And she blows out the candle on the cupcake. And she wakes up in Carter's dorm room. No. It is Monday, September 18th again. Oh, what killed her? Oh, you're going to get this. Are you ready for this? Who do you think is the killer, Frankie? (laughs) Well, so if I'm thinking about it, the thing that's different in this one is that it sounds like she died in her sleep. Precisely. So, I, I mean, I would really hope it's not Carter. Like, did he suffocate her? Did someone come in? Dude, you're so, oh man, when I first saw this movie, I was like, I was looking at Carter kind of sideways too. So I'm totally, if I hadn't seen this movie before, I would totally be in your same boat because I had, I had an eye on him for a while through this movie too. So (laughs) she's hysterical. She is flipping out. She's like, I stopped it. I killed him. And she storms out of the room. And she bursts into her dorm room. And this is where, again, this scene played pretty much in every attempt. And so this is, now that we're at the end, I'm going to go ahead and do Ophelia by the Lumineers. Ophelia, you've been on my mind, girl, since the flood. Ophelia, heaven help a fool who falls in love. So. Um, she bursts into her room and she starts to pack a suitcase and Lori is like, Tree, what's wrong? What are you doing? And Tree's like, I'm going away. It's the only way I'll be safe. I'm getting far away from here. And then Lori grabs the cupcake and lights the candle and she's like, hey, happy birthday. And Tree looks at it and she's like, yeah, no, thanks. I already ate it last night. That was the only time she ate it. Meaning, oh my god, it was Lori. It was, it was Lori. Lori. What a she poisoned it. Oh my god, why? What was the motive? She poisoned it because she's also having an affair with Gregory. <gasps> what? And Gregory preferred Tree. Dang. And he told her that? Rude. Lori at first she denies it but Tree's like no you poisoned it and and Lori is actually working at the campus hospital like she's always in scrubs and so Tree knew that Lori had access to John Toombs in the hospital and so Mm -hmm. Tree figures it all out oh you were going to use him as a scapegoat you made sure he would get free and that they would pin it on him yep and so Lori's like you're crazy you think I try to poison you Tree's like okay eat it Yes, baby. <laughs> Lori's like, no. And then Tree's like, okay, fine. I'll take it to the police and I'll figure out what it's made of. And during all this and in all the scenes where Tree came and talked to Lori in their room, Ophelia by the Lumineers was playing. Now, I'm going to be honest. Here we go. I'm not a big fan of this song. Oh, okay. But I have my reasons and I think they're pretty valid. I'm really not a big fan of this song. 
and the reason I'm not a big fan of it is because it came out during a time when like I was not making great life choices and I was heavily medicated because of my condition. So I wasn't feeling great. And it's, it's like that trigger that I was telling you about before that when you hear a certain song, it transports you to a time in your life or an experience. And so sometimes when I hear this song, I get kind of like, I kind of feel the effects of the high dosage medication and the nausea comes back. And also at the same time, like I wasn't really involved with great people. Mm -hmm. And around the time that this song was playing a lot everywhere, I was still kind of mourning uh, the death of Alan. Mm, okay. So it it was it was just a really bad time. And the song itself, I'm sure if I could take away all that stuff and start a clean slate, I'm sure I would fucking dig this song because I kind of dig folk rock, you know? Yeah. But uh, this is just one of those songs that I was like, Eh. But then I told myself that maybe if I go ahead and include it and maybe if I go ahead and research it and I find out what it was really about and I I figure out the process and I, I, I know a bit more about the band and the song, maybe I can stop associating it with all those negative bad things from the past and maybe I can start to let it mean something else to myself. Right, instead of being associated or, you know, tagged to those other negative connotations and negative memories. Exactly. So, like, you know, I thought maybe maybe I'll even like it if I figure out where it came from. So, Ophelia by the Lumineers was recorded in 2015, and it was featured on their second album, Cleopatra, which was released on February 5th, 2016. In the beginning, band member Jeremiah Freitas created an instrumental demo that became the backbone for the project. As they gradually turned it into a song, Wesley Schultz, who is the lead vocalist, came up with the hook of the song, which originally said, Ophelia, you've been on my mind, girl, like a drug. Which I kind of like better. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It works. It relates to me. The band became really reluctant to keep the song title as Ophelia because a song of the same name had just come out a year before by a group named The Band. But Wesley really felt like the name was already perfect and he couldn't be brought to change it. The name does come from Shakespeare's Hamlet. Ophelia is the daughter of Paulinus and she falls in love with Hamlet. The song reached developmental hell when he found himself having a hard time writing verses he thought were good. Because he reached a block with the song, it was shelved and would not be worked on again for four years. Dang. Mm -hmm. So, Wesley Schultz is quoted as saying, the song is a vague reference to people falling in love with fame. Oh, I I am not going to lie. That's not how I take that song. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah, me either. I just, I always kind of saw it as um, it's a guy who hasn't moved on and he's singing about a girl who did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically the same. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, again, everyone is going to hear a different song. Everyone's going to see a different movie. So no one's wrong <laughs> with whatever they interpret. 
I am right, damn it. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, there's also a rhythmic stomping in the song, and this is done by Wesley, Jeremiah, and producer Simon Felice. There is a lyric that goes, can't feel no remorse, and you don't feel nothing back. Wesley says this line was inspired by how he felt toward his bandmates. He said that they reached a point where there was an emotional disconnect and that they started to feel like strangers. Hmm, that's always the saddest point in bands. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that's like, I've never been in a band, but I've worked around bands for quite some time. And that's one thing that, that's gotta be, that's gotta be tough is like, not only finding people that you can coordinate with and play off of, but also that you vibe with, that you get along with, that you're comfortable with, you know, and, and sometimes all it takes is, you know, what do they say? One bad apple. Yeah. So one bad asshole. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, who can say the word guns and roses without thinking of Axel being an asshole? So, yeah. Luckily, though, it appears that they did eventually rediscover their bond because obviously they've gone on to record again. Mm -hmm. And so when this was released as a single for their album, it was met with mixed reactions. Bruna Pimentel from The Edge says, quote, it is undoubtedly anticlimactic and the chorus is, quote, repetitive. But among fans of the band and the song, Ophelia has performed really well, and the music video alone has over 155 million views on YouTube. Certain scenes in the music video are of Wesley dancing, and this is an homage to Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain. Oh, now I must watch. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite musical ever. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. The video for Ophelia, along with videos for four of their other songs on that album all accompany each other as a cohesive story in a 24-minute video on the band's YouTube page. So I will post that on the blog for you to see. Yay! This song, again, did perform very well. The song hit number one on U.S. Billboard Adult Alt Songs, number one on U.S. Billboard Alt airplay and number one U.S. Billboard Rock airplay songs. It has been certified Platinum three times in Canada, and silver by the UK, and gold in Italy and France. Dang. Yeah. I did not realize. Yeah, this song blew up. And again, that's part of the reason why, like, you, I think in 2016, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I know I didn't. It was just always on, or someone was playing it, or it was in a fucking grocery but store. I feel like, you know, when you don't like a song, that's when it comes on even more. Like, it's following you. It's that syndrome where you learn about something, and then it starts popping up everywhere. Oh my god, yes. What's it called? Yes. I'm about to look it up. I don't, I don't know what it's called, but I remember that happened, because do you remember um, Chris, Ashley Chris, the one who had the van? Ashley Chris, the one who had the band. Bader Meinhof phenomenon, by the way. Okay, well, I never would have guessed that. Wait, hey, so Chris uh, Smithson? Yes. Okay, so he drove that, like, 85, like, weird mom van. Okay, that was his car, right? And I had never seen that van. Then, as soon as he started driving his places because they were dating, the van was everywhere. Everyone had this van. 
and it was like an ancient band. Yes, yes, this is that syndrome. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, okay, okay yes, it is called, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's Batter-Meinhof phenomenon, where it's uh, something you recently learned suddenly appears everywhere. It's also called uh, frequency bias, which I think is easier to remember. Yeah, frequency bias. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get that yeah, all that the one. fucking time. All the fucking time. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Just to wrap up on that segment, the Lumineers, for those who don't know, are an American folk rock band hailing from Denver, Colorado. They first wrote and performed together in 2005, and they've drawn inspiration from Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, and Bob Dylan. I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. And I feel like, I'm like, man, if they sounded more like Tom Petty or Bob Dylan, I might like this song more. <laughs> um, especially for the Tom Petty. Tom Petty is like one of my favorite bands ever. Oh, I miss him so much. Mm-hmm. Miss him. The Lumineers currently have three studio albums in their discography, and they are still active, as, as active as you can be during 2020 pandemic. Right. <laughs> Like online, you know, live videos and whatnot. If if you're, you know, caring about the other humans in the world, yeah, that is. yeah, and not being inconsiderate little bitches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying. Anyway, so Tree has confronted Lori, and she's like, "You've been killing me over some guy." Like, even she knows it's stupid. And Lori's like, "Well, you're a dumb bitch too." So then they fight. It's on. Like they are like not sparing any punches. They are just going at it, fucking cat fighting. And Tree takes the cupcake and shoves it into Lori's mouth. She's like, "Eat it, bitch!" Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. And that's when Lori panics and she jumps up off of Tree and she's like trying to like get the cupcake out of her mouth and off her tongue and lips. Tree swings up on their chandelier and kicks Lori and she falls out the window and fucking dies. Well, damn. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So now it's over. Now she's finally got it. She figured it out. Yay. Okay, but wait a second. Does no one question her for killing Lori? Dude, that's the thing. Like, we're, the legalities in this, and even the, the time before when she killed John Toombs. How are you going to explain that to the cops? <laughs> yeah, how does she get away with this? I'm confused. <laughs> right? Yeah, me too. Me too. There's actually a guy on YouTube. He, he's a lawyer, and he has a channel called Legal Legal, and I fucking love him because what he does is he takes, like, court movie like movies that were set in court like my cousin Vinny and legally blonde and he points out all of the inaccuracies and the accuracies and i want him to do i know what you did last summer and happy death day <laughs> oh yes please and actually i'd love to just sit and watch like every svu episode with him oh my god he would have a fucking field day he has like unlimited content with that fucking show everything's gonna be okay tree has figured out her murderer it was the cupcake that Lori made from scratch, and now Lori's dead. Yay. So we cut to a diner, and Tree and Carter are sitting at the diner bar together, and we are hearing Since I Don't Have You by the Skyliners. And and 
they're watching TV, the news is on, and Danielle is getting interviewed. And she's like, I knew there was something wrong with Lori. She never wore makeup and she never posted cute selfies. Oh my God. <laughs> well, let's just kill all those people. Danielle is so funny. And then and then Carter's like, oh, by the way, I forgot. And he gives Tree her bracelet back. And so then they're, you know, they're kind of talking and, you know, they're being really flirty and, you know, he's saying like, oh, so since your room is an active crime scene, where are you going to crash? And she's like, are you inviting? And so, you know, it's implied that they're, they're going to hang out again tonight and all that. And that good stuff, all that. Yeah. (laughs) All that college hookup goodness. Oh, fun. Fun time. Fun time. (laughs) And uh, as we start to pan out and away from the diner, they continue to talk and he's like, you know, your situation reminds me of Groundhog Day. And she's like, what's what's Groundhog Day? And he's like, what? Are you serious? Bill Murray? She's like, who's Bill Murray? Good Lord. And so as we kind of like start to hear the the them start that conversation, all the audio is kind of fading out. And in the diner, we were hearing Since I Don't Have You by the Skyliners. This song was written and composed by Jackie Taylor, Joseph Rock, Lenny Martin, Wally Lester, Janet Vogel, James Beaumont, and Joe Versharen. I hope I said that right. I'm sorry, guys. You chose all the hard names for this song. I did. I did it to myself. This song first appeared on the Skyliner's self-titled album from 1958, and it falls under the doo-wop genre. The B-side to this single was their song, One Night, One Night. Since I Don't Have You hit number 12 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 weekly chart and number 3 on U.S. Billboard Hot R&B sides. The Skyliners were an American doo-wop group and they were the first group to include a string arrangement in rock and roll. Joseph Rock began the group with members who had attended high school with him. When Joseph was writing the lyrics, he was experiencing a breakup with a woman who said that she did not want to be with him anymore. The Skyliners got their name from a song by Charlie Bartnett, also called Skyliner. Singer-songwriter Don McLean released his version of this song in 1981. Country music's Ronnie Millsap released his in July 1991. And Guns N' Roses covered this for The Spaghetti Incident, which was an album that consisted of punk and glam rock covers and was released in 1993. Most people will recognize their version, and they're probably familiar with the music video where Gary Oldman makes an appearance as a villain. (laughs) All the music videos mentioned today will be on the blog, and all the songs will be on the blog as well as the playlist. So finally, it's all good now. Tree wakes up in Carter's dorm. But then she's confused because he's wearing the same clothes and he's saying the exact same thing. Oh, wait, no. But then he's like, I'm just kidding with you. Oh, fuck him. I would have punched him in the face. Yes, but he finally says like, yeah, it's Tuesday, September 19th, which is my birthday, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying he was saying that. And I was like, oh my God, he has your birthday. (laughs) No. And what's funny, I was also born on a Tuesday. Oh, really? Full circle, guys. Full circle. I think I was. I have to double check. Anyway, so it turns out Carter was fucking with her. So she's like, you're an asshole. And they just, you know, they kind of start play fighting. And it's super cute. And they kiss. And then the movie ends with a bumper sticker on his door that she saw every morning that she woke up there. And it says, today is the first day of the rest of your life. End of movie. I love this. It's like yeah. a love story, you know, change of life, 
murder movie. It's got everything. Coffee, yeah. Yeah. Tears. You know, I love it. I love it. Great choice. Yay. Yay. Yes. And this is, this is just a fun movie. It's, it's not your typical slasher. You're right. It does have a lot of, like, it's very heavily comedic. There's also some mystery and some cutesy love shit too. So I think this is one of those movies that like, even if you're not a fan of horror, even if you're not a fan of, you know, love stories or mysteries, like I think this one's pretty enjoyable because the cast makes it great. It's a fun story. It's an interesting spin on a familiar premise. And, you know, it's just kind of cool to see how the characters change through situations like this. Yeah, definitely. Good things. So, guys, that was Happy Death Day, released in 2017. If you haven't, definitely check it out. Check out the soundtrack. It's pretty banging. Yeah, man, I hope you guys are watching One Scary Movie a Day because Halloween is coming up very soon. I'm so excited. That was awesome. Sounds like a great, great movie. A good choice, Misa and Steffi. Yay! And once again, happy birthday, Steffi. I hope you enjoyed this per your request. How exciting. (laughs) Yeah, so, and also Steffi made um, a guest for my movie. And she was correct. <gasps> yes. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. I knew I had a feeling that it was one of the Hotel Transylvanias, but I've only seen the first one. And I knew it wasn't the first one. But like there was a little monster in the background, and that's what made me think of it. And I was like, it's got to be like part two or three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. So, yes, Ooh. that is uh, my pick. I love that we both still pick like not traditional seriously spooky movies or you know just not traditional halloween movies i guess i agree and even so like every scary movie needs some humor every one of them does definitely so yes that is what i will be covering great job steffi yay oh i'm excited to hear yours me too i'm super excited i didn't get to finish your movie but i started watching it it's so adorable (laughs) oh that's okay i'm glad you got to watch some of it so Super exciting that uh, you were able to put that in. I was already speculating, like, oh, I wonder if she picked this song. Oh, I wonder if she picked this song. So I'm interested interested to hear what you narrowed down to. There are a lot of songs in this movie that I really like, but I did pick. um, It was hard for me to kind of narrow it down. So I do have quite a few honorable mentions, Um, but I'm super excited to cover this movie for my second pick for spooky season. Steffi was correct. My pick for our second spooky week was Hotel Transylvania 3. And it is probably my favorite um, movie within that franchise. I think it's super cute. I actually love all three of them, but this one is just, it's a cute storyline and I do think that this one has the best music that's how I chose which one I was going to do so I actually watched all three of them several times to figure out which one I was going to pick because I knew I was going to pick one of them Um, but I just wanted to make sure that I chose the one with the songs that I liked the best if that makes sense yeah yeah so will you eventually do part one and two also um possibly Possibly. Eventually. I know I went out of order, but you know what? I do what I want. So 
I was just like, you know what? I, I really like this one. And I do feel like even if you don't have 100% of the backstory, like you could watch the third one without truly watching the other ones because mm-hmm. it's super easy to pick up like who's, who's Drac, who's his daughter, who's she married to, who's their kid. Like you get the dynamics without really – you know, seeing the first or the second one. At least I feel that way, but maybe I'm biased because I have seen all of them. I don't know. I remember watching part one with you at your house, and Mm -hmm. that was when you were still at the house off of Franz or whatever it's called, and that must have been at least 10 years ago now, right? Yeah. Damn, that was a long time ago. Yeah, and and so I don't remember much, but I remember thinking it was super cute, and I really liked it, and of course the cast is just awesome, and so – Today, when I started to watch part three, yeah, I realized like there wasn't a whole lot that I remember from part one, but part three really can stand alone like any good sequel can. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. So like Misa said, the original one came out like 10 years ago and I covered the third movie in that franchise, which should come out in 2018. It is a computer animated comedy film that is produced by Sony. It was um, written by, and I'm going to fuck up his name, Gindy Tarkovsky. (laughs) All the hard names this (laughs) week for Misa and I. Uh, Let me try this. So Tarkovsky wrote and directed all of the franchises along with Michael McCullers. And like Misa said, this cast is star-studded. Um, it's got Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg, Selena Gomez, Kevin James, Fran Drescher, Steve Buscemi, Molly Shannon, David Spade, uh, just to name the top people who most people know. Um, and there are some new roles in the third one, which include um, Jim Gaffigan, Katherine Hahn, Joe Jonas, and Chrissy Teigen. Teigen? Teigen? I always thought it was Teigen. Tegan. Okay. Chrissy Tegan. I got, I'm sucking at names today. I need to learn how to say your name guys. I'm sorry. I promise I will get better. Um, so like I said, you don't really have to watch the other movies to pick up on what this movie is about. And basically the whole premise of this movie is that Mavis realizes that her dad, Dracula, is like overworking himself He is putting his all into the hotel that they run together for monsters. And she decides that they need a vacation. So she surprises him and takes him on a cruise for monsters. And I think that this is just such a cute premise. It's adorable. So, and I kind of jumped around Misa, so I'm going to fill in a little bit about Gindy right now, if that's okay. You do you, girl. I'm listening. Okay, awesome. So um, this movie was, it did receive mixed reviews just because, again, it is the third one, and we know based on Scream that sequels are never as good as the original. Um, But I would venture to say that this one actually was written better, and it had a better storyline in my mind. Um, It did gross $528 million worldwide, and its budget was $80 million. So, I mean, that in itself... That's that's a really good uh, grossing against what they budgeted for the film. Mm-hmm. And it is the highest grossing film in the Hotel Transylvania series. However, there is a fourth installment that's supposed to be coming out in 2021. I don't know if that's 
truly coming out. I don't know if that got postponed or canceled. It's still saying like pre-production. So not entirely sure on that one. Just a little bit about our writer and director, Gindy Tartarkovsky. Oh, I'm so sorry. Is a Russian-American. And he is an animator, director, producer, screenwriter, storyboard artist. He's written comic books, and he just does art in general. Um, and he is the creator of quite a few very well-known animated TV series, including, but not in any particular order, Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Primal. Um, he does a lot on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. And he also has created and worked on shows such as The Powerpuff Girls and Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, so he's um, very well-rounded. He's done a lot um, in just the animated art, the animated art form, if you will. Um, and he's really kind of pushed the boundaries of what you can do with animation. And so he's considered very gifted. He is one of those, like, one of those people who you want to work on your project based on everything that I've read. Like, he is just, like, his name is very well known, a name that I should be able to pronounce. So sorry, Gindy. But um, he's, he's very well known in his craft. And he has studied and gotten better, like, over a span of, 20 plus years. And that's amazing that it sounds like he's been involved in quite a few really popular mm -hmm. franchises in pop culture. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, he's gone from, cause the Powerpuff Girls originated what in the nineties, right? Yeah. I want to say, yeah, it was one of the pioneers of Cartoon Network, I think. Yeah. And so for him to be on that and then continue with Cartoon Network, especially moving into the like adult swim, era I mean I know that's still on but you know like when it was super super popular um I mean he's he's been on a lot and not just on those particular projects but he's been in movies and like he's come on board as like um special animated producers and things like that to be like the top person who goes back and reviews things as well to like catch little um nuances or things that need to be fixed which I mean that in itself for you to be able to sit there and kind of like scan through these movies and be able to pick up on little things that like, you know, my eye may not be able to pick up on because you're the expert. That is mind blowing to me. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, he sees all of those little flaws that we don't see because that's his craft. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he was really interesting to um, research and he, um, he's just been in like so much. It's, it's awesome. Um, so this movie, like I said, it did go on to be the most successful in the series so far. And it does have a couple of awards um, and nominations under its belt. It did win for the Kids' Choice Award for Adam Sandler for his um, male voice. Selena Gomez also won for her female voice in an animated film. And Andy Samberg, who plays Johnny, husband to Selena's character, um, he was nominated but didn't win. And they almost won the Best Animated Film in the St. Louis Film Critics Association for the year of 2018, well as the Favorite Family Movie for People's Choice Awards in 2018. So it is very well up there. And even though it did have some mixed reviews, um, I think overall it was well perceived by 
audience members, children and adults. It's got that, you know, perfect mix of what we want as parents when we take our kids to go see animated films. We want some kind of like tongue in cheek humor, if you will. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's what I what I noted to myself when I was watching this. I was like, wow, this is really it's not so much a kid movie as it is a family movie because it's one of those films that the parents can also enjoy because there are jokes that only they will get that the kids will laugh at because it's funny but only until they're older will they realize what it meant but the parents will get it exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and so that is why it is one of my um favorite choices like all three of these I can sit and watch with kids and they love it and I love it and I think it's hilarious so it's definitely Definitely a good family film, like Nisa said. The you grew up watching a lot of the cast <laughs> in movies. Exactly. <laughs> and so what I think is fun though is like I feel like I'm building um my own little movie empire because I am so used to being like, whose voice is that? Like when we're listening to animated characters, that my own children are like, Oh, I recognize that voice. That's the the actor in this movie. And so I'm just such a proud mom because they're picking up on those like voice actors and other actors and they're making those connections and it just makes me really happy. Aww. <laughs> Movie geek moment. Mm-hmm. So this film does have um, technically two soundtracks. It does have a score that Mark Mothersbaugh um, created, but then there's also the use of just everyday music. Um, that is included in the film and so I did focus on the everyday music sorry Mark Um, and so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight in regards to our film so we're just going to jump right in Um, our film opens um, back in 1897 Dracula and his friends are traveling on a train to Budapest when this weird looking I don't even know where he's from. I'm assuming he's from Transylvania. Man um, bursts in through the back and he says that he's Abraham Van Helsing. Yes, the Van Helsing. And he is going to reveal these monsters to the regular human folk who are on the train as well. And of course, he like shoots this weird green gun and Frankenstein goes crazy because fire bad and they quickly escape from the roof and then they change Van Helsing into like a different animal and he gets hit by the train. From that point on, Van Helsing becomes obsessed with destroying Dracula. And so we see like this little montage of Van Helsing and his various plans flopping as he's trying to find Dracula and destroy him. And this goes on, and then we see our movie title, Hotel Transylvania 3. And we are back in present day. We see Dracula running his business with his daughter Mavis and his son-in-law Johnny. Um, we're at a wedding. They they have a hotel that they run for all kinds of various monsters. Um, and we see some of our favorites, Frankenstein. We see the mummy. We see the invisible man. Um, we see other vampires. We see, like, witches and werewolves and um i'm trying to think of some of the other ones i'm sorry um the loch ness monster all different kinds of monsters are coming together um in the hotel and just enjoying the safety of living there and they've all accepted that johnny 
is a human. And so they're at the wedding and then they go to like the reception. And as they're at the reception, um, we see that Drac is kind of down, you know, and so his friends are like, oh, I, you know, I try to hook you up with this girl. And he's like, I don't have time for that. Like I haven't dated in a hundred years. Um, and then we see him kind of go off by himself and we realize he actually is lonely. Like, of course, Dracula is eternal. So he lives forever. His daughter's married and has her son. And he's kind of envious of that because his love died a long time ago. And we hear him, ex him explain to his friends that he already zinged once with Martha. That was his, um, how do you say that? Dearly, like, departed, departed wife. Um, so he is a widower, and so he was telling his friends, like, I already zinged, like, you can only zing once in your lifetime. And at this point, he's just kind of interested in dating. Um, Mavis comes in, sees this, and she thinks that he's stressed out because he's just been completely throwing himself into work. And so she's, like, kind of talking to Johnny about it later, and she decides, I'm going to surprise him and take him on a cruise. And of course, Drac, because he's Dracula, you know, he's a control freak. He likes to be in charge of everything. He's been in charge for hundreds of years. And, you know, he has really big issues with like letting go. And so Mavis surprising him is like a huge deal. And once they get to their destination, we see that Mavis has planned this summer vacation on a cruise ship for monsters and all the friends and all the family are coming along. And it is, of course in the Bermuda Triangle. And one thing that I did think was really cool is when they get to the Bermuda Triangle, the ships that you see in the triangle are actually animated ships of ships that have sunken in the real life Bermuda Triangle. Wow, that is cool. Right? Isn't that neat that they went so far to do that? Um, so I just thought that was a fun little tidbit. So they have all those ships that have sunken in the Bermuda Triangle. And on the very top, we see this amazing, like, monster cruise ship that they're going to be boarding. So they get on there, and Drax annoyed. He's like, you brought me to a hotel on water. Yes. <laughs> and Mavis is like, I just, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Because he's like, he's got that dry, like, Transylvanian dry <laughs> humor. And he is, you know, like, not easily impressed. I mean, he's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years I mean he's not super impressed by a lot but anyways he tries to enjoy himself because Mavis is like I really wanted you to like rest and relax and he's like all right okay so you know I'm gonna focus on that for Mavis and then his friends are like hey while we're on the boat like let's try to make this the love boat <laughs> and he's like I'm not really feeling and he's like that's not my like, I came here to be with my family. Like, I have Mavis. I have Johnny. Um, you know, I got to focus on that. And I just, I don't have time to be, you know, dating someone or looking for someone or whatever. And it's just, it's so, this is such a cute scene. And so we see him and all of the monsters are hanging out on, like, the main deck. And, you know, like, when you first get to a cruise, you all go on the main deck and, like, you're supposed to meet the captain and so they're all waiting on the deck for the captain to arrive and like greet them. And as they're waiting, there's like these weird fish people 
who are like the butlers and they're also the band and they're also like the greeters and they're just like the only people that are working I guess mm-hmm. on the ship are fish <laughs> and so they do this weird fish rendition of the song Downtown by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. I went to the moped store, said fuck it. The salesman's like, what up? What's your budget? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know nothing about mopeds. He said, I got the one for you. Follow me. So that is our first song. And I love it because it's very like, it's not the original version, but it has the exact same words and everything. It's just in the fish voice. And it's not like a Richard Cheese version, but it's like a very like talk singing right? I don't know how to explain it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's actually one of the parts that made me laugh because it's like it starts off with like the piano and then that really cool bass comes in and then it's like the fish but he's kind of monotonous and he says it. He says the first verse like really fast and I was like, wait, what did he just say what I think he said? Yes, yes and it's hilarious because you're right. You have to like, wait a second. I know that song because you hear the music and then you're like, wait this fish is totally singing the song. And yes, he is in fact covering downtown. Um, and this is probably one of my favorite songs by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. So I had to cover it. Um, it is, they are like a hip hop duo for this song and they cover a couple of other songs together. Um, for this song, they did feature a couple of other people, including Eric Nally, uh, Mel Mel, Cool Mode, D and Grandmaster Kaz. Um, the song was officially released August 27th, 2015 as the lead single from their second studio album, This Unruly Mess I've Made. The music video um, was released about the same day. This song, I actually remember seeing the song first on the MTV Awards. Like they introduced this song and they all came out on these amazing mopeds. And then there was that awesome voice who is Eric Nally who does that kind of very high downtown that voice Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with the song I was like man that falsetto I love it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's a very like different song and it's it's so goofy and silly and that's one of the things that they talk about um Macklemore says that Ryan like came up with the beat and they came up with a beat on the road and they called it moping around and then he was like moped I can do this and so that's how it came up to being about a moped and everyone loves it and the video is freaking phenomenal if you haven't seen it it is just, it's amazing. So I'm sorry. I know I jumped around, but I'm just so excited to talk about this song because it is one of my favorites. Um, so this song has been used quite a bit in other references to pop culture, including um, Dirty Grandpa. It was in the trailer for Secret Life of Pets. Um, the Seattle Police Department actually created a video for this song, like as a part of a lip syncing competition between police departments which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then, of course, it was included in this film. And when you look it up, it does say covered by Fishmen. So um, <laughs> I like any more information on who the Fishmen were, but I do want you to know that it is officially considered a cover 
by Fishman. Adorable. So um, <laughs> this song has charted like in every single country. Um, it's gone everywhere from number one and staying number one for several weeks. Um, in some countries, it's been a little bit higher up, like in the 30s. But it is definitely one of the most well-known songs, especially because of the beat. And it is that very um, typical, like, 80s kind of um, hip-hop rap beat mm-hmm. that they featured. Mm-hmm. And so it's very noticeable. Um, it did hit number 12 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, as well as number 6 on the Hot R&B and Hip-Hop Songs. Number nine on the mainstream top 40, and number four on the rhythmic billboard charts. Um, and again, the song is just, it's well received in most countries, if not all. So that in itself just makes it an awesome song. And just a little bit more about M- Malcolm Moore and Ryan Lewis. Um, like I said, they are a hip hop duo, they're from Seattle, Washington. And they, of course, go by their stage names, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Their Macklemore's real name is Ben Haggerty, which is just such a different name from Macklemore. Mm-hmm. So very different. And I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I actually thought he at least had like Mac in his name somewhere. I was so sure that Macklemore was like his last name. Right. No. Hmm. No. I know. I didn't know. So they formed together in 2018, and they've had a couple of CDs come out. They are a Grammy Award-winning duo. Some of their most notable songs include Thrift Shop, which everyone knows, and that hit number one on the U.S. Billboard back in 2013. And I just, they were honored to actually be a part of this movie even though their song was covered by Fishman and Macklemore said that it was one of the coolest experiences in his career to have their song featured in animated films. That's sweet. So I thought that was really neat. So, so yeah, we get that awesome rendition covered by those Fishmen as Drac is waiting with all of the other guests to be greeted by the captain on that main deck. And as soon as he sees the captain, she like comes in doing like all these awesome flips and jumping from all the, um, oh my God, what are those called? Mast, the, where the flags go, not flag. What are those called? I am not a person who rides boats a lot. <laughs> no, I'm not either. What are, um, the things in the sky that have those like curtain looking things that help the boat go. <laughs> that do you know what I'm talking about I I can yes yes I know what you're talking about I just don't know what to call them I don't either so please correct me because I know I'm stupid for listeners please write in and tell us what we're missing yes please help educate me because I know the word mass I mean that's that's a start and I know we're on a boat so (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys So she comes in and she's speaking, of course, like every language. And she also does speak like some different like monster. Like she does like a little like Loch Ness monster growl, which I thought was super cute. And as soon as Drax sees her, he zings and you see it in his eyes. And he just gets this weird, creepy, like adorable smile on his face. And um, Mavis even goes like, oh, my God, he's having a heart attack. Um, (laughs) And his friends pick up on it and they're like, no, no, no. I think it's I think it's because of her. And they kind of dismiss it, and she goes on, and she 
talks to everyone and then she comes over and she's like oh my god you must be the one and only Dracula and he's just like so dumbfounded by her he can't even speak and so she thinks he's actually speaking in Transylvanian when he's actually just kind of like speaking gibberish because he can't get his words out of his mouth Adam Sandler gibberish yes like (laughs) yes yeah and so she's like oh Transylvanian is such a romantic language (laughs) and his friend Frank comes over and like takes him away and he's like oh yeah he's totally speaking Transylvanian to you um and so we see her like so now we know Drac is totally like in love with her and once a monster zings like it's kind of like their love at first sight like you can't undo that and it never goes away so like if if you zing with that person like that is your person no matter what um, kind of like, I guess, Twilight, right? The imprinting thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that thing. Very similar. Monsters, you know. So mm-hmm. we see Erica, like, leave all the guests and everything. And then we see her kind of, like, sneak off to the side of the ship. She goes through this, like, hidden passage. And we see her climb down, like, all these poles and all these different staircases, like, way down to kind of the center of the ship. And she opens this locked door, and inside is this man who resembles Van Helsing, but he's, like, attached to all this machinery. And we find out it is Van Helsing. He never gave up his um, desire to kill Drac and to kill monsters. Like, it's just created this rage inside of him against all monsters. And so he created a way to make himself live forever using machinery. And he is looking rough, guys. Like, he does not look anything like the original Van Helsing we see at the intro of the movie. He looks, like, crazy rough. His teeth are ragged. His fingers are ragged. He's got, like, no hair. And his spleen is, like, in a little jar off to the side of his machine thing. And he's got these really slow wheels. And we come to find out that um, Van Helsing has place that hate and Erica also and she's like oh my god you're right I hate these monsters like just being around them oh I just want to punch him in the face and he's like I know I know but in time and this is when we get told about Van Helsing's real plan so while they're on this cruise ship his plan is to go have Erica go deep down into the lost parts of Atlantis to get something called um, the instrument of destruction And so he tells her that she cannot kill Drac prior to this because it'll mess up the entire plan. She has to get the instrument of destruction. And once they get that, they're going to destroy all the monsters on the ship. And she was like, no, I can just, I can take him out right now. And then she like does all these karate chops. And he's like, I said, no, like promise me. And she's like, okay, I promise you that I won't try to kill him. And she's like, I'm going to really kill him. And so we go into our next scene where Drac is putting on these lovely knee-length black socks and these short, short, tight, white shorts and white dress shoes. And we are getting this amazing dress montage to 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars.
we see Drac getting dressed. Um, and my favorite part of this whole like dress montage is he has this super cute like Hawaiian shirt on it, but it's got skulls all over it. And it's just, it's like, I would totally wear this shirt in real life. And I think it's so cute that he has that on. Sorry. Anyways, side note, I know. So he does this whole dance montage to this amazing song by Bruno Mars. And he's like feeling himself, like doing all these awesome dance moves with the, the green jello man person. And the whole time, Erica is attempting to murder him. Like she's like, moving those those little safety boats and trying to drop it on him um moving like furniture and like trying to smash him with it trying to knock him over the ship um just anything she can do to kill him because she's she's determined and she finally realizes that she she's just not going to be successful in this and the song ends right as he sits down where his friends are kind of um moon bathing moon bathing i love it yes they are moon bathing and the invisible man goes oh there's captain erica and you see drac hide under the cushions he's like oh my god oh my god oh my god and then all his friends laugh at him and he's like i haven't dated anyone in a hundred years don't make fun of me and it's just a really sad way to end that song but it's just such a cute dance montage thing that i had to include it so everyone knows 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars. It starts off with those really very noticeable falsetto voices. Again, I guess I have a thing for falsetto voices tonight. Um, was this one of the songs you thought I was going to pick, Misa? This is definitely one of the ones that I wanted to hear you talk about because I thought this little dance montage was so cute and I felt so bad because the little blob, the green blob was dancing with him and Erica kept hitting him instead, yes. <laughs> but he kept bouncing back. And then you hear him like one of the parts, she like knocks him off of the cruise ship and he goes flying into the water and then he gets stuck in like the propeller under the water mm-hmm. and then you hear like from him trying to talk and like getting the bubbles and everything it's it's sad I mean he has feelings even though he's a green jello blob (laughs) yeah yeah it made me feel bad for him but I love that he 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 was basically indestructible because he kept literally bouncing back (laughs) exactly exactly so just a little bit of information about 24 karat magic um it is a song by American singer Bruno Mars from his studio album with the same name was released in 2016. Um, This was the lead single for that album. And I think they definitely made the right choice in making that the lead single. Um, Mm. He wrote the song with um, Philip Lawrence and Christopher Brody Brown. And the three of them called themselves Shampoo, Press and Curl, which I thought was adorable while they handled the production of all of like the songs and you know the um the touring and the the reps for this song um so they had their own little like side name which was really cute it is cute <laughs> this song has um aspects of funk disco contemporary r&b and it was heavily influenced by that 80s hip hop 
there is a very noticeable synthesizer riff and that backbeat that I talked about in downtown. It's also in this one as well. And some of that was brought in from um, The Message, the 1982 song by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Um, this song addresses like all those extravagances in life, that glamour, the party lifestyle, you know, like that it lifestyle, like lifestyles of the rich and the famous, if you will. It just fits so perfectly with the way Drac is, like he is just like totally into himself in this scene. Like there is nothing anyone can say or do while he's like pulling those socks up and getting those shorts on and like he's never felt it looks like he has never felt better or never had more confidence than this scene um and this song is just it was perfectly matched this song did have quite a few accolades it is one of the higher achieving songs from Bruno Mars even though all of his songs if we're honest are like amazing like they all are record charting so, and this one was one of the higher ones. Um, it was by many, many, many publications noted as the best song of the year. Entertainment Weekly called it the Bulletproof Party Jam, even though it did only rank 35 on the Entertainment Weekly's list of 100 songs for that year. In 2016, on the list for its like 101 songs, you know, at the end of that year, they always do those top songs from that year. It came in as number 61, and Billboard 100 put it as the best pop song for 2016. The critics placed it, though, at number 64. So that one is a little bit different for that list. I did have to look that up just to clarify. So they have, like, music critics rate it, and then it's versus, like, population from, like, listeners. And so listeners rated it as number one, but critics rated it as number 64, which was actually surprising to me. I didn't think it would be up that high, but it was. So anyways, it did make the list though, which says something in itself. Um, it was nominated for one of the Danish International Hits of the Year back in 2017. Those are called the Zafa Awards. And it was nominated by the 48th NAACP Image Awards for Outstanding Song in the Contemporary Category. It won over 12 awards, and some of those noticeable ones were the winner of the Most Performed Songs um, at the ASCAP Pop Music Awards, and then again in the following year, it won Most Performed Songs, and it included a Rhythm and Soul Music Awards also. So I know that's a lot, because it just won so much, and is just so noticeable and then not only that it because it was played so much and performed so much it had one of the highest amounts of streaming 12.8 million streams 65 million radio tracks within its first full week wow that's crazy that's incredible isn't that incredible like that was insane that was insane when I read that I was like wait what let me read that again. Yeah. I was like, how is that even possible? But but it's it's taking into consideration, not just here in U.S., that's worldwide. Um, and I mean, even that, like to think about it worldwide, it was played 65 million times in one week. 
Bruno Mars is so fun. Like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't like him. He's always got these great jams. He's a really great looking guy with an amazing voice. He dances. He's got influences from all these different eras of music and it shows. He's just so fun. Right, right. I agree. Absolutely. Like, I don't know if he's ever done anything that people don't like either. Like, he just seems like a really chill guy. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody can like him. Everyone. And that's one of the things, too. Like, no matter what kind of music you like, like, you can't deny, like, his music just fucking jams. Yeah, for sure. Like, it just, and it's also, like, transcending because it takes you back to, like, eras of different times. Exactly. Exactly. Popular for the time of now. And it's just like, dude, this guy's a genius. Um, and what I wish would have happened, like how fucking awesome would it be? Let's just think for a second. Michael Jackson and Bruno Mars together on a track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The possibilities. Right? Like throw in some like the weekend. Oh, possibly like I mean hello you're speaking you're speaking my language like I mean <laughs> could there be a greater song uh, I think not I think only, not if only right if only if only wouldn't that have been amazing amazing uh, one can dream one can dream so sorry I know I kind of got off on a tangent but I mean God, <laughs> Bruno so he at this point this was the highest debuting song for him um, and I mean, this, this song is just like, because it was so well perceived by audience and all of the awards it won, it did go on to be like in different commercials and things like that. And of course, into movies because of its popularity, it's just, it's an amazing song. And I love that they did the video to match that kind of eighties, early nineties hip hop. And that is something that they also won awards for because of the way the video was done. So music video, song, everything, like, it was just amazing on all four fronts. Um, This song has been covered by several people or featured in different songs. A couple of those covers include Connor Maynard and Alex Ayano. I'm so sorry for saying that wrong. In a sing-off, um, Kendrick Lamar actually sampled part of it in his song Loyalty, which featured Rihanna on his album Damn. And Heidi Klum actually used parts of this song for her show Germany's Next Top Model when she was one of the judges. And so he got paid very well for that, guys. Very yes. well. Um, he's making a quite a bit of money off of that and so just a little bit of information about Bruno his real name is do you know okay I I don't know if I'm (laughs) if I'm making this up but if I'm not mistaken when Bruno San Martino died Bruno Mars posted about how he was named after him question mark (laughs) I love how you still and like your voice still went up because it's so cute. I love when you speak. <laughs> you have such a cute voice. Um, so that is a nickname. So yes, technically, yes, that is his nickname. I actually did not know his real name. And so I was like, oh, wow, that is so different. His real name or name that he was born with 
is Peter Jean Hernandez. Never would have guessed. <laughs> Ever. And we owe him a happy belated birthday. Bruno, happy belated birthday. His birthday was October 8th. I know, so I know you're listening. Happy birthday <laughs> to you, sir. This one's for you, Bruno. This one's for you. And, uh, I mean, who who doesn't know Bruno, though? But he's he was born in America. He was born and raised in Hawaii. And he moved to Los Angeles in 2003 to pursue his music career. He is a singer, songwriter, record producer, multi-instrumentalist. And he is an amazing dancer. Mm-hmm. He is known highly for those stage performances, which is why those music videos always do so well, because he always puts input into those music videos to make sure that they are actually dancing. He is very big on making sure his videos have dancing because that's what he wants. He wants people to be up and dancing to his songs. Um, he is very well known also for that kind of retro throwback um clothing, show, um, showmanship, if you will, and just dabbling in all those different music styles. I know we talk about this a lot, Misa, but those music artists who can kind of transcend just being into one genre, I love those people. Um, and I would venture to say that Bruno is very much one of those people that can, you know, meld between all of those different genres I agree I agree I feel like uh one day he could totally be doing something very R&B I feel like the next day he could pick up a guitar and do a rock song I feel like the next day he could do a ballad like he can do dance and anything and people won't think like oh this is weird Bruno with a guitar like it won't sound weird he's gonna make it sound good yeah exactly exactly and um, I mean I feel like he could sing like the phone book and I would be like, damn, this man is talented. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I know, like I'm fawning over him. So, but just, I know everyone knows Bruno, but I did want to just give a couple of his achievements and then I'll move on to the movie. He has earned in his career since 2003, since he came to Los Angeles to pursue that career, he has earned 11 Grammy Awards, three Brit Awards, four Guinness World Records, nine American and 10 Soul Train Music Awards. He has made the Time Magazine's 100 list for the past four years. And he is the second artist to win record and song of the year with two different songs from the same album. He is only the second artist in the history of the Grammys to do this, guys. He's just, he's amazing. And it's just awesome to hear that song in here. Like I said, we get that amazing montage and it's just, it's a great scene. And Misa said, like Misa said, it's super cute. And we get to see a little bit more of Jack's personality. We also get to see a cute green jello man. And it's just, it's an adorable scene with a great song. Um, And it makes you want to dance because that's what Bruno does. Mm -hmm. So... After Drac um, is embarrassed and tells his friend like he hasn't dated um, and he just doesn't even know what to do, um, Erica ends up overhearing him and she, still being in that, you know, Van Helsing mindset is like, okay, this is how I'm going to lure him in. I'm going to take him on a date and um, I'm going to like poison him. And so she poisons him or tries to with garlic and some guac and she like stuffs chips and guac into his mouth. And turns out Drac does not die from garlic. He just 
and gets in that set stomach. So he ends up like farting in front of her and then he's like, oh, is that you? And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what, what did I get myself into? And so he then actually, <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. I'm laughing. I'm still laughing about it too. He, um, it's it's really funny because seriously, Erica's like, what? <laughs> like you're a 500 years old, really? <laughs> Take ownership, sir. So, um, we see him kind of like after that moment. He's like, I'm really sorry. Like I know this is not the date that you had intended. Like I haven't dated anyone since Martha and so he opens up about that and Erica starts to see like that softer sentimental side and she realizes like he actually has like some really good qualities and they're actually getting along and this is the part um Mavis his daughter comes up and she just is furious she's like what the hell like why are you with her you know like you're supposed to be on vacation like spending time with me and her husband and Dennis, their son and like friends. And she just doesn't understand. And Jack like plays it off like, no, 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 we're just like talking about work and you know, whatever. And so he gets up and he leaves. And then we see Erica walking down the hall and she's torn because now she's like, well, like, do I have feelings for him? Like, what the hell? Like, this is not how this was supposed to go. And she's like, I just, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I don't know how to explain this. And she's just very taken aback. So she tries to process her feelings over the next couple of days. And they kind of do like those basic like cruise destination things, excursions, like where they stop at like an island. And during this time, she does try to like spy on them. And then for the last excursion, right before she goes out to go get the instrument of destruction, we see um, great grandpa Van Helsing like poke his head out of this weird ship part. Man, I should really have searched up ship parts. I apologize. <laughs> my ship friends. Ship for parts. not knowing ship parts. Um, <laughs> I love you. I am not a shipologist. <laughs> I know now you're just making shit up. <laughs> oh, ship, you caught me. Um, it's, it's that little, like, vent, I think. Um, and so we see great grandpa Van Helsing, like stick his head up one of those vents and he's like, where have you been? I know you've been with him. And she was like, Oh, I don't even know. Like when I see him, I just want to, and he's like, punch him in the face, knock his teeth in. And she's like, Oh, um, yeah, that. And cause she's, she's really starting to feel something for him and she doesn't know why she doesn't know how to handle it. And so she is trying to play it off with grandpa because he's like, you have to do this for our legacy. Like, this is what our name was called for. Like, we have to destroy these monsters. You have to fulfill this destination and go get the instrument. And she's like, all right. Because she's like, you know what? You're right. This is my destiny. Like, I have to listen to you. And at this time, we see actually some of Jack's friends, werewolf, come up. And so great-grandfather Van Helsing shoots them. They end up tranquilizing them. And then Erica goes back to the excursion for the day, which happens to be in Atlantis, which they've turned into this amazing casino in the movie. And I thought that was so cute. We get to see the Kraken and he's singing them like that. Um, 
like lounge jazz type music, like Michael Michael Buble type music. Super cute. Kraken is adorable, played by Joe Jonas, by the way. And Drac realizes, like, you know what? I need to tell Mavis what's really going on. I need to tell Erica what's really going on. And as he's coming to this decision, he sees Erica, like, lurking around and being suspicious. And so he's like, what's up with this? Like, he follows her. Turns out she's going down, like, the secret passage and kind of very much like Indiana Jones-ish. Like, there's, like, little weird buttons like you push together and then the wall opens up and then there's like this secret path that you like dive down into what looks like a giant nose from a monument and it takes you into this other area where this is statue of this giant finger holding something in between the thumb and like the index finger and that is the instrument of destruction so he starts to walk up and we see like that basic booby trap and the sword goes at her and it stops. And we see Drac, he's actually saved her. And she's like, oh my God, you saved my life. Like, but I'm a human, why would you do that? And he was like, I would save you over and over again. It doesn't matter to me that you're human. And this is when she's like, oh my God, this man is amazing. And he helps her get the instrument of destruction. She tells him that it's actually a family heirloom and she's trying to get it back because it's very important to her grandfather, great-grandfather, and she wants to give it to him. And so Jack takes on like all these spears and like axes and like giant um, rocks crushing him and all this stuff to like help her get the instrument of destruction. And the whole thing collapses after they finally get it. And Mavis comes up at this point because she, turns out, has seen them take off. And so she follows them as well. And this is when Drac does come clean. And he tells Mavis, I zinged with her. And Erica's like, well, what is a zing? Like, what is what is that? And he tells her, like, it's, it's our love at first sight. And Erica breaks his fucking heart and says, I no, I could never love you. You're a monster. And she runs off with the instrument. Drac is literally heartbroken. Um, like his whole body turns into like almost like a puddle. Like his head is down. Everything is just droopy. Mavis feels awful. And we see Erica talking to great-grandfather Van Helsing, she gives him the instrument and he's like, finally, let's have a party and then we'll destroy all of them. And Drac goes to the party and we see him, you know, trying to just be there for Mavis and enjoy what little time they have left on the cruise ship. And we see this amazing like DJ, monster DJ in this giant clamshell and everyone is trying to have fun and dance and everything. And that's when we see Van Helsing join the DJ booth and he kicks the DJ out and he tells everyone like his plan for destruction and he opens up the instrument of destruction and it is like a piano music sheet. And so he plays the song and the song that he plays is this amazing, awesome, like funk EDM song called Sevolution by Tiesto. 
Devolution is performed by Dutch DJ Tiesto, and he is like the most amazing DJ of all time. That's literally what he is called. He is called the greatest DJ of all time, the godfather of EDM. He has also been voted the best DJ for the last 20 years, literally for the last 20 years. So every single year, he's been told that he's the best DJ. And for him to be the godfather of EDM is amazing. He started way back in the early 90s. He literally has worked with every single artist. Like, there's just so much information on him. He's worked from people to Sarah McLaughlin to, like, even metal bands. He's covered John Legend. He's worked with Justin Bieber. He's worked with all of these amazing artists. He's done things for the Olympics. He performed live in the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, making him the first DJ in history to ever perform at the Olympics. Crazy. It's awesome. Like, I know. And I, I knew of him, but I didn't know how just amazing he was. Um, he has won multiple Grammys for his electronic albums and for his remix versions of different songs. Um, the latest Grammy that he won for was a best remix recording of a non-classical song, which was John Legend's All of Me at the 57th Annual Grammy Awards. He has worked his ass off in his career to be where he is. Um, he is known as one of those, again, just record-breaking, transcending artists who doesn't like to stay in just one genre. He really likes to pull from different beats and different types of music and put them together into or on top of tracks and EDM and things like that. So that makes him very different from a lot of other people because he does take a lot of risks in his music. And it has paid off well for him. Like I said, he's been out there pushing his music for over 20 years, making him also one of the longest working DJs in history. And there was not a lot of information that I could find about the song Devolution. It was made specifically for this song, so they did approach him, and I did find like some quotes and some information about it based on that. Um, so Stevolution is one of the first tunes that was actually shared from the soundtrack, and it is called a Monster Mash because it's got these big synth horns, as well as these awesome like stomping rhythms, and it has those throwbacks like the throwback synthesizer as well as some of those like really big like EDM festival type beats but it's so catchy and so full of life that like you don't even have to be an EDM fan to absolutely like do the song bops like it's amazing and so I can't wait for you guys to listen to it so this is a song that plays like I said from grandfather Van Helsing, great-grandfather Van Helsing, and we see the Kraken arise, but he's in a different form this time. So he's not 
playing that lounge jazz music like he was in the previous scene. He is like crazy, like flapping his little octopus. They're not little, they're giant, giant octopus arms and like breaking things. And the monsters realize they're trapped and they don't know what to do. They're literally sitting ducks. And Erica is standing next to her grandfather and she's trying to convince him, you know, please stop. Like, this isn't what we need to do. Like, this is wrong. Drax sees all of this and he's like, I can't let all these monsters die. Like, I have to do something and save everyone. So he goes up and tries to fight the Kraken, but the Kraken basically like kind of like a snake would around a rat or something like it's prey. Um, it starts to squeeze him to death and then it like pops its head in his little tentacle. And this is when we see Erica decide enough is enough. She flips up and like does all of her amazing ninja moves and she saves Drax. And great grandfather is like pissed that she would even do that in the first place because again, that goes against what they're supposed to be doing. And that's when she tells great grandfather Van Helsing that she actually has feelings for Drac, and he's like, no, and so he continues playing the song, and this is when we see Johnny, the son-in-law, has his big scene. He tells Drac, the only way we can beat the Krakens is we have to play the most wholesome, good songs in the history of man, and all of a sudden, of course, because movie magic, and he has Drac as his father-in-law, he has his own DJ equipment, and he starts playing all of these awesome like one hit wonders that the entire world knows um and i am going to go ahead and just say the titles these are mostly my honorable mentions and he plays um good vibrations by the beach boys he plays don't worry be happy by bobby mcfarren and we start to see the cracking kind of like getting confused between the song that is coming out of the piano that grandfather van helsing is playing and then the music that johnny is playing and so finally, Johnny's like, no, 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 we have to find, like, he's about to destroy everything. We have to find the most amazing song that's just going to, like, take over the monster's mind and be the most positive influence. And we start to hear another one of my honorable mentions, and that is the Macarena. And, of course, everyone has, like, this amazing Macarena, like, music break where they're all dancing and everything seems to be good. And... Or so we think. We then see the Kraken takes his arm and he ends up knocking great-grandfather off of the tower that they're on. And Drac saves him. And then he says, okay, you know what? Maybe maybe monsters aren't, aren't so bad. Um, maybe I need to give this thing up and just I hope you guys the best. So we go back to the hotel so everything seems to be good from the cruise we go back to the hotel and we see that life has gone on um mavis is working behind the registrar and like all the guests are coming back together and then we see drac and erica on the roof of their hotel and drac says i have something to ask you and he ends up proposing to erica she of course is just over the moon excited and so happy that she goes into that Adam Sandler because she can't speak <laughs> because she's so excited and then finally he's like is that a yes and she doesn't officially answer but we get taken out to 
probably one of my most favorite songs in this movie, and it's called I See Love, performed by Jonas Blue and Joe Jonas. This is such a perfect place. So Icy Love is a song by British DJ and record producer Jonas Blue that features vocals from Joe Jonas, which of course is in the Jonas Brothers and DNCE. He was specifically asked to come on and sing the words to the song by Jonas Blue because he was working on the film. Like I said, he does play Kraken. And Jonas Blue was also approached to write a song. So they kind of came together because they were both approached by producers and writers from the movie. Um, This song is one of Jonas Blue's not highest recording singles, but it is one of like his most popular singles. And it has one of the highest digital downloads. I like this song because I just think it's, super cute, super catchy. It ends the movie on such a good note. I mean, even though we don't officially get that yes, which does possibly leave that opening for that fourth installment, we know that she's super excited to be getting proposed to. We know that Drac is very much in love with her, and that's why she's probably definitely going to say yes. Um, The music video is completely pictures of the movie and made up of different scenes from the movie because like I said it was written just for this movie the thing that I do like about this so even though I did cover this for one of my spooky movies this movie was actually called the monster vacation and so it's considered kind of a summer-ish movie if you look at it in terms of the Transylvania franchise Um, and so when looking at different like quotes from Jonas Blue. Um, I also looked up like the Sony Motion Pictures Music Group because they're the ones who specifically approached them to the song. This song to them captures that kind of summer tropical vibe. But I chose this song for my spooky season because I always like those movies that have like monsters and they find love because even during spooky season, monsters and villains and everyone need love too. Okay, can we normalize that? Aww, that's, yeah, that's a really good message. I like that you took that away from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, takes us out. I mean, there's not a lot of information about Jonas Blue. Um, like I said, he is very well known over in England. He has done a couple different covers of songs and worked with some different artists um, like Sabrina Carpenter, um, a band called Jack and Jack. Some people, like, I'm going to be really honest, I don't really know those people. (laughs) Um, But he's very popular over in England, and he does have some record label with Sony, so I'm assuming that's why he was approached to cover the song. And I'm just super happy that they did approach him, because this is is probably my favorite song on this album, because it's just such a sweet, sweet song. So, and that ends our movie, and that ends our soundtrack. I do have a couple just fun facts. Um, There is a part of this movie where they are taking the plane to go to the cruise and they are on this like speed as fuck plane. The pilots and the flight attendants are played by these animated characters that look like 
gremlins and they were actually completely designed and created to look like the 1984 gremlins and i thought that was the perfect tribute to another spooky movie that would be super fun to cover in the future Mm -hmm. so i wanted to include that one other thing that i did like because i did cover the song that the fishmen sing gindy was really particular about he how he wanted the fishmen to appear on the boat um and like he researched fish and he was like well they can't bend sideways so he made sure all of the animators had them have limited movement and that they could only really like move parts of their mouths like the and then their eyes just a couple and i thought that was just it's just those small details to me that really matter and I appreciate when animators and directors really focus on those little details to make it more lifelike, even though it's an animated film. I know, I'm weird. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so just another fun fact about Abraham Van Helsing. So he was in his 50s, um, like around the 50s or 60s in the Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was published in 1897. So in this film, like in present day life, he would have been 170 to 190 years old in his little um, beat up machinery. So yeah, and that is pretty much the um, last fun fact that I have. I know this is not your traditional spooky film, but I wanted to include a good old family spooky classic. Yeah, those are definitely essential for Halloween for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that uh, finishes up week two of Spooky Season. This is a fun movie, super fun soundtrack, and it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is I think this is one of those movies that like everybody can enjoy. Like everyone will find a joke that they get, and everyone will find something to laugh at. It's so it's so cute, and plus like fucking Adam Sandler and his friends—they're never not funny. Right? Like, hello, David Spade. Like, I mean, and David Spade is the invisible man. And so there's like a constant running joke between all three of them. Like he's constantly getting hit in the balls or in the eyes. (laughs) And it's like those adult little moments like that, that Misa and I are talking about that just make it like humorous to everyone. So, so yeah. So I hope you enjoyed. Um, And if you haven't seen it, please remember like, Go watch it, even though you may not have kids. It's a great movie for adults, too, and it's got an awesome soundtrack. Yay. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. Yay. Cool. Good things. Good things. Check out our Instagram at Hey Soundtrack City to see clues for our next spooky season episode. We will have a new movie, a new soundtrack to discuss. Just check back to see if you can decipher which movie those are. Ooh, I'm super excited to see who has seen mine. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of nervous for week three. It's going to be different friends. Yes, yes, it's going to be fun. (laughs) Spooky season! (laughs) We hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Yes, we are loving it, guys. And thank you so much for just, like, hanging out with us and listening to us dive into like our favorite season Misa's movie again if you haven't seen that happy death day looks it sounds phenomenal I already downloaded it so I can watch it 
can't wait. Like the way Misa covered it. So excited to watch it. I hope you like it. Oh, I think I'm definitely going to. Like I actually went to work and told a bunch of people about it. And I was like, have you seen this? If not, we're totally watching it because Misa recommended it. <laughs> um, and I just want to, I want to make that like a thing. Like if you hear a movie on our podcast and then you watch it, like, you know, share that with us, like tag our Instagram. Like we would love to know that you guys are not only listening to the music, but checking out those movies for real. That makes us super happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the best compliments that I think we've gotten is like sometimes someone will listen to our episode that we did and they'll be like, wow, after listening, I really want to go watch the movie now. And I'm like, oh, you too. <laughs> yes, yes. That, you're right. That's the best compliment. Yeah. So, I am so excited for week three, guys. Don't forget, Misa does an amazing job on our blog that will be tagged. Um, it's all in our link tree, which is under Hey Soundtrack City on our Instagram, and we are on basically every platform, guys, so no excuses. Yeah, and you can listen to us while you're cleaning, while you're driving, while you're planning world domination, or walking your dog. Mm-hmm. Good things. For sure. <laughs> Good things. All right, guys, we hope you all are taking care, staying healthy, staying home when you can, wearing your masks when you go out, and let's get through the rest of 2020 together. Boop, boop. We got like two more months, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Spooky City. Ooh. Where are your wind sounds? <laughs> Is that why you keep me around? Because <laughs> my amazing wind sounds.